I come to worship just for the worship. I attend church solely for the worship. I'll never forget the statement made by actually a very close friend of mine who I knew very well and had visited a church where I was serving and I'd followed up with him and just asking what he thought about the church and he began to tell me uh, all the all, his opinion about the church and then he finally just stopped and I thought he was leaning in at that moment to kind of tell me I don't need coffee at church I don't even need fellowship and my kids they don't need children's ministry and and we don't really need the youth ministry we don't need a small group uh, we just need worship I thought he was just talking about the worship service, like that's all we need until he followed up with this. Yeah, I can study my Bible at home. I actually went to Bible college, you know, and I know how to study the Bible. I, I, know, I know how to read my Bible. I only need church for the music. And that's what he meant. I only come to church for worship. Now, that was very offensive to me. First of all, my friend knows that I've given my life over to actually preaching the Word of God. So just on that level, that was somewhat offensive. He knows that, that I've given my life over to teaching the Word of God at church. But it's also offensive in this way. God never thinks about worship apart from His Word. He never thinks about worship apart from the Word of God that He's given us. And it is faulty for us to think about worship, especially in the context of the church, especially in the context of corporate worship apart from the Word of God, apart from the Bible that we have that is the Word of God. It's wrong to think about worship apart from the Word of God, and even the Word of God preached, as we'll see in this passage. You see, for us to worship, God must be present. God must be present for you to worship Him. And He's not present just because we stand around and say, I invite you in this place. Come into this place. That that doesn't mean God's going to be present. God is present in his word heard because it is his voice speaking to us. And he is present in his voice. And when his word is heard, he's always present. Now, he may be present as a judge or a savior, but it is in his word that he is present And so for God to be present, his word must be present. So for us to worship, the word of God must be heard. The word of God must be present. His voice must be in this place. And we sing and we pray and we weep and we rejoice in the presence of God when we hear his word. You can't think about worship apart from the word of God. You can't think about worship apart from having your Bible in hand. Now today we're going to see that in our passage, but first of all, as you'll notice, we're moving over, I don't want to say skipping, summarizing chapter 7. 
Now, the reason we're going to do that, and you know I hate that, I would love to dig into all of those names and to tell you what they mean and who all of those people were. The reason we're going to do that is I think the point is Nehemiah, and even in Ezra, sets up for what's about to happen in chapter 8. He gives us kind of a ledger sheet of everyone who is present in Jerusalem, and even gives their giving records in chapter 7. The wall has been complete, and Nehemiah is kind of summarizing what's going on, and everyone who is there. And all of these names and all of the roles they play are to be tangible reminders of God's faithfulness to his people. But as Nehemiah is ordering the city, one of the things we see throughout chapter 7 is worship is integral to the city. As he is organizing government, roles in government include the Levites and the priests and even the singers. Because For Jerusalem to be blessed, for the people of God to be blessed, there must be worship. This is what makes God's people who they are, is their worship. And one of the things that's so important about the wall that Nehemiah has built is it separates the people of God in their worship. That's so significant for the people of God. They are separated from the rest of the world in their worship. And so now that all of that is complete, one of the things Nehemiah does in chapter 7 is he puts the city on lockdown. He invites everybody to the city and he calls in the National Guard, puts them on duty, and he says, no one comes out and no one goes in. I think I did that backwards just there. No one comes in, no one goes out. The city's on lockdown. To do what? To renew their covenant with God. And how do they do that? Through worship. But they don't understand worship apart from the word of God. That's why we see here they call in a man named Ezra. Ezra was a priest and he was a scholar and everyone knew his writings throughout Judah. And Artaxerxes, who we've talked about in Nehemiah, also commissioned Ezra to go to Jerusalem and teach the law. He wanted the people, this Persian king wanted the people of God to know the word of God. Why? Because they would obey God and that was good for their culture. That was good for Artaxerxes. And so he says, go and teach your people your word. And he leads 3,000 people back to Jerusalem from captivity and teaches the word of God. And so now that the wall's complete, chapter 8, verse 1, notice, and all the people gathered as one man. All the people gathered as one community in the square before the water gate in public. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses. Ezra, you know the word of God. In Ezra, we read of a man who has given himself over to know the word of God, to do the word of God, to fear the word of God. We need the word of God. So Ezra, bring the book of the law of Moses. Now, many believe this was the the first part of, of our Bible, the Torah here. It could have been specifically the commandments that Moses delivered to the people. Even the the word that Moses preached throughout Deuteronomy. But he says, you bring the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. You bring this word 
that defines who we are and the covenant God has made with us, who God is and what he requires of us. And so all the people they've gathered together, we need the word of God. In verse two, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. Now notice, you're going to see throughout this chapter, the people, the assembly, this is a community All the people are gathered together. Notice men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And so here, before we can move forward as a community behind these walls, we need the word of God. We have to be reminded who we are. And to be reminded who we are, we have to first know who God is. And we have to know what God has commanded us. And the point here is to be faithful We must gather as one under the word of God. The people call for it here. It's the same thing that must happen in the context of the church. We must have the word of God to be blessed by God. You would say you want to be a part of a church where God is present. We, We may say that a lot. I want to be a part of a church where God is moving. How does God move? Through his word. How is God present? in his word. And so I want to gather with people who are gathering around the word of God, gathering under the word of God. For us to be blessed as a church, we must order everything according to the word of God. Our offices, pastor, deacon, our mission, what we want to do in the world, the the idea of things like church discipline and the ordinances that are in the word of God, we must order everything according to the word of God for God to genuinely bless us as a church, to bless us in holiness, to bless us in joy. We must be a people that gather under the word of God. That's what the people are doing here. Notice verse 3. And Ezra read it, read from it, facing the square before the water gate. Now notice this, from early morning until midday. Some of y'all complain about two 20-minute sermons every Sunday. You'll get that later. Y'all want 20-minute sermons, I just, I preach two of them. I give you two every Sunday. At least six hours standing there. Hearing the word of God read to them. And there were probably kids running around, but they're standing on their feet to hear the word of God. All who could understand. And notice what he says. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. This literally means they gave their ear over to what was being said. They were leaning in. This is the word of God. I've got to lean in and hear what God has to say. God is a creator. He has given us his word. He is faithful to us. We have to hear from him. Now, why would they stand half a day, dawn to lunch, giving their ears over to the instruction? It's because they believe this is the word of God. This is is how Israel functioned. When Moses came back from the top of Mount Sinai and he began to say to them, the Lord your God says, the Lord your God says, here, let me write it down for you. This is what God had said. They weren't saying, oh, Moses, you're just making that up. No, they believed what he said and what he was preaching, what he delivered to them was actually God's word. 
And here they're giving their attention over to it because they believe it's God's word. So faithfulness to the word of God means you must receive it as God's word. Your attentiveness to the word of God is determined by what you believe the Bible to be. Do I believe this is the word of God? You see, every Sunday we make a theological statement to our kids, to the people around us, to our community, to the forces of darkness and Satan himself. We believe this is the word of God, so we're going to lean in and listen to it. We believe this is God's word, and we need it more than we need food. So I'm listening, and I'm trying to take it in. God is speaking. And that's a question for you. Do you believe this is the word of God? Is it the word of God? Well, first, do you gather to hear it? You see, a lot of you would check off on a doctrinal statement, the Bible is God's word. The Bible is God's inerrant, infallible, authoritative word. But do you gather to hear it as God's word? Of all the other things that I'm hearing, of all of the other voices that are floating around, God's word, I have to, I have to hear it because it's God's word. Do you lean in to understand it? Do you give attention, your ears, to what is going on when the Word of God is read, heard before you? You will if you believe it's God's Word. The same way you Google how to make a fire pit and you begin to write and take notes down. I need this kind of rock from Lowe's. I wonder if there's something on Facebook Marketplace. And you give yourself over to that activity. If you believe this is the Word of God, you dig in and you say, I have to figure it out. I've got to lean in. It, my, my preacher, is, it's not all his responsibility. <laughs> He's going to do the best he can to explain it. But if that's the Word of God, I've got to lean in and I've got to figure it out. If it's the Word of God, are you intent not just on hearing it, but doing it? You don't come and listen to God and then just kind of shuffle off like you've gone to a movie. No, you, you take notes and, and you, you get accountability. God has said that I must order my life a certain way. And so I, that is how I, I need help doing that. And I'm going to go to my BFG and I'm going to share that prayer request. And I need people in my life to hold me accountable. Are you intent on hearing and doing? You will be if you genuinely believe this is the word of God. If you believe that, you will gather, you will lean in, and you will be intent on doing the word of God. Notice the text continues. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. Now, I'm not going to read these names again, because I worked really hard at doing that all week long, and I thought I did a pretty good job the first time, so I'm not going to mess that up. But here is a list of names, the Levite, the priest, leaders who come alongside Ezra as the Word of God is being read, and they stand and they say to the people of God, leadership says, we need this more than anything, the Word of God. People, listen. This is the Word of God as Ezra. Notice, stands on a wooden platform. They literally built a tower for him 
to read the Word of God. Now, I'm sure acoustics were involved with that. But more than anything, they want it to be reminded that it is the Word of God that is high and exalted as our authority. The same way God speaks from heaven. The same way God spoke this law, first of all, from Mount Sinai. Lift it up. We need the Word of God spoken over us. It's the same way in the Reformers. They built their pulpits high in the church, up high in the church, sometimes uh, over-exaggerating the height of the pulpit. And no one could get up to it but the man who preached the Word of God. And it was to be as Moses who is ascending Mount Sinai, and he's going to preach the Word of God over the people. You see, we don't bow before statues and relics. We don't bow before the Word of God. We bow before God as his word is spoken over us. And here the people of God, they want to see that. They want to feel that. And Ezra, it says, open the book in the sight of the people, for he was above all the people as the word of God is above all the people. And notice what he did. And as he opened it, all the people stood. It was instinctive. If this is God speaking, we stand in honor. He is the most important person in the room. Stand up. And Ezra blessed the Lord. He praised the Lord. He declared the Lord. Notice the great God. And the people answered, Amen and Amen, lifting their hands. Ezra opened the word and he said, This is God's word and God is great and God is holy. And his thoughts are above our thoughts. And the people said, Yes, yes. Amen. Amen. This is a holy God, and we need his word. And notice, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, notice that. Notice their posture of worship, their face in the dirt. And Nehemiah says, That's worship. How often do you worship God that way? We probably need to do more of that around here. Put our face in the concrete. Because God is holy. And when his word is spoken, we should tremble. When his word is read, we should tremble. And worship's not always hands in the air, dancing around. A lot of times it is, I'm declaring that God is holy and righteous by getting my face in the dirt. And that's exactly what the people do here. They bow their faces down. They stand in reverence. Yes, he is holy. And if he is holy, we got to get to the floor. We got to get on the ground. And we see here exactly what we've been trying to communicate. That God is exalted in worship when his word is exalted. When his word is lifted up. That's when God is exalted. But the opposite is also true, right? God is minimized in worship when his word is minimized in worship. When his word is just tacked on like an afterthought. When it's just, yeah, that's kind of the thing that we have there. Think about most worship services. We've just made a commitment around here that the preaching of God's word is going to take up about half our time. Why? It's not an afterthought. It's not, it's not, you can have a worship service for an hour and 10 minutes 
And if 20 minutes is just the Word of God, what does that say about the Word of God? What does that say about the importance of the Word of God? God is minimized when His Word is minimized. God is exalted when His Word is exalted. When the people stand in honor of the Word of God. And that's why we do that around here. Why? The most important person in the room is speaking. God. When he shows up, everybody shut up. Sorry, kids, you should never say that at home. Listen, the most important person is speaking. Not me, but God. Let's listen. What does he have to say? Stand in reverence to the reading of the word of God. And the preacher, that's why the responsibility is so weighty because the preacher has a responsibility to to make sure he is saying exactly what God is saying. Exactly what God is saying. That's why James said, teachers, you will incur a stricter judgment because you are speaking on behalf of God. You are speaking for God to the people of God and you better get it right. And we confess, God, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And we bow down because we realize this isn't a politician asking for our vote. This is a king who is demanding our allegiance. If you went to the doctor this week and you found out you had a disease that was, could be terminal, but there were some things you could do to fight back this disease, there's some treatments that you could go through, there's some ways you could change your diet, activities in life, you would probably lean in on every word the doctor said to you, Right? You would probably say, let me go get, let me go get my, my wife, let me go get my kids, let me go get a friend, because we got to get in here, and I might die if I don't listen to you. And I'm going to write down everything you say to me. I'm going to write it all down, because I got to get it. I got to get it right. I want to save my life. It's the same thing with the Word of God. We lean in. We say, God, what do you have to say I'm lacking joy. What do you have to say? I'm worried. What do you have to say? God, God, my life, my sin, I'm convicted of my sin. What do you have to say? Let me write it down. How can I have a marriage that honors you? How can I be a faithful witness that honors you? Let me write it down. Let let me dig in. Let Let me focus. There's no excuses. What do you have to say? Notice the text continues. Also, more leaders, notice the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while they remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave sense so that people understood the readings. And so as Ezra's reading the word of God, the priest and the Levites, they move among the people and they begin to explain, this is what it means. That's what's going on right now. This is what this means. This is what it means for your life. Now think about this. Many of these people had spent the last 70 plus years in exile, in Babylon, under Persian rule. Many of them probably didn't know Hebrew. And so the priests and the Levites, they're moving among the people and they're explaining the word of God. They want to make sure that they get it. And Nehemiah, who was governor, 
And Ezra, the priest and the scribe, the leaders and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord. Do not mourn for all the people wept as they heard the word of the law. And they said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to the Lord and do not be grieved. Now notice what the word of God does to people. It breaks their heart. It grieves them. Why? God is holy. God is righteous. And I'm not. And the people of God are reading about not having any idols, any gods before the Lord God, their God. They're they're reading about how they should surrender to God alone. And their hearts are broken. Why? They realize that's not who they are. They see their sin and they are broken and they have their face in the dirt. And so what are the leaders doing? They're going around saying, no, 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 you don't understand. (laughs) Yes, that's good. You are sinful. But God has called you here, not just to crush you, not just to leave you with your face in the dirt, although that's an appropriate response. No, this is going to be a day of celebration. This is a day set apart, holy, set apart to God alone. We're going to worship God alone. And how are we going to do it? I want you to go home and throw a party. Get up. Go back home and throw a party. All the food that you have in the freezer, bring it out. Start eating. Eat it all because God's going to provide for you. And celebrate. Drink the best wine that you have that's made for only days of celebration. And then after you are glutted on God's goodness, think Thanksgiving, you're glut, I want you to pack up some leftovers and you go throughout the streets and begin to share with other people. Why? This day is set apart to the Lord. He has something good for you in his word. Notice how verse 10 ends. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. To have joy in the Lord, you first of all have got to be grieved over your sin. But the word of God doesn't leave you in your sin. The word of God doesn't pass over your sin, but it doesn't leave you in your sin either. He he, he is pushing us to to his strength and finding joy in him. How do you find joy in the Lord and how does the joy, look at that phrase, how does the joy of the Lord become your strength? When you realize, I deserve hell, but he has saved and rescued me. We don't deserve to be back in Jerusalem with the word of God, but he has rescued us. And there's joy in that. And that is to be your strength. Get up and serve him. Get up and worship him. In verse 11, the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet. They were grieving so loud. It was as though they were at a funeral. They are saying, calm down. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions, and there was great rejoicing. So just like there was great grief, then there is great rejoicing, because the people understood the words that were declared. Go, celebrate, because you don't deserve to be here, but the Lord is faithful. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, the conviction of the word is not pushing us away but pulling us toward joy. 
And the way the word does that is it grieves us with our unfaithfulness and lifts us up in his faithfulness. That's, that's your strength, not your strength, not joy in and of yourself, but to understand you're sinful and you're unfaithful, but he is faithful. And that's where you find joy. And that's where you find the strength to be faithful and serve the Lord. Faithfulness is found in the joy of repentance. You see, some of us come in here today and we think transformation happens by me just being disciplined. Give me a list of things to do. I'm going to be gritty. I'm going to bear down. I'm going to focus. I'm going to do the right thing. Now, here what we see is faithfulness is in the joy of repentance. Yes, understand your sin, but there is a great Savior. You see, God isn't the coach or the boss that's looking over your shoulder and saying, you better get it right or you're fired. You better get it right or you're going back to the bench. Get it right. Do it right. Do it right. Do it right. You'll never obey God completely and fully if you see him that way. No, you say, yes, I am sinful and I've been unfaithful, but he's still a loving father and he will always be my father. He is the father who is walking alongside you saying, you are always my child. We're going to get this right together. That's how God comes to us unveiling our sin is so that we would see him as Savior. Notice the text continues. And on the second day, the heads of the Father's house, of all the people with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Now, you would say, well, we just had this amazing time out in public where the Word of God was read for six hours. Why do we need to call the priest and the Levites? And by the way, get the dads, fathers, and bring them back and let's have some more Bible study. So the people are hungering for the Word of God. They, they want more of this. And they come back and notice as they study the Word, they find in the, in the law of the Lord that Moses, by the Lord, had commanded that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And by the providence of God, they began to understand in the word of God, the law of God, that God had actually commanded a community festival to celebrate his goodness. And so they began to promote it. They began to proclaim it and publish it and go outside of Jerusalem and tell all of the people of God in Judah Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees and make booths. These are tents, kind of sheds, that all the people are going to bring to Jerusalem. Probably 40,000, maybe 80,000 people are going to descend on Jerusalem with these tents, with these trees, with these shed-looking like things. And so the people went out and brought them in and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, and their courts, in the courts of the house of God, in the square of the water gate, in the square of all the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths. So they're camping out throughout the city. Everywhere you went, there would have been these sheds, these booths, these wooden structures with leaves on top of them. Some people had them out on their porch. And what was this? To do It was to remind them of their time in the wilderness. 
when they did not have a home. But God had rescued them. They were former slaves in Egypt without a home. And notice verse 17, in all the assembly, they lived in these booths. Notice, because this was commanded from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. They renew this festival, the Feast of Booths, and there was great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, notice this, he read from the book of the law of God. Notice again, they want the word of God. We got to figure out what this means. We got to figure out how our community is ordered in light of the word of God. And they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. And so think here about fall festival, trunk or treat with abundance of grain. As you went through the city, everybody was decorating. I don't think trunk or treat is biblical, biblically commanded. But that's sort of the picture you get here is a fall festival as they're walking through the city. And it is to remind them that God has brought them from a place where there was no home to a home. God has delivered them. And there would have been sacrifices. Notice a solemn assembly, burnt offerings, which declared God has accepted us and the word of God is read daily. But notice what drives this festival. It is the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord commanded this celebration. The law of the Lord, in a very vivid way, passed down this festival. And it was, this is, we see here, this is why the people of God were commanded to do it. It's so they never forgot. It was commanded in the word of God. You you continue to celebrate the Passover. You continue to celebrate the feast of trumpets. You continue to celebrate the feast of booths because I want you to remember my goodness. You continue to have these festivals. And what God is doing here with his word is he is inviting them back into the story that is their story. He's come, I want you to see your story in a very vivid, tangible way. Because you're in the same story. You're in the story of God's faithfulness. And so look around and see a story of God's faithfulness. Faithfulness to captives. And it is their story according to the word of God. And it's the same thing God is commanding you today. By his word, he commands you to see yourself in his story. From Genesis to Revelation, this is our story if we believe in Christ. See, one of the things we want to be very clear about around here, and we we talk about it often, is when we read the Bible or hear the Bible, we're not trying, get this right, we're not trying to apply the Bible to our life. It's the way you hear a lot, Bible study, let me apply this to my life. No, you're not the center of the universe. Jesus is. And what he does, here's the good news of the gospel. He says, I want you to apply your life to my story. I want you to connect your life to my story. That's why we put the card out today. I've lost mine up here with all the stuff. But those questions on that card, I know they all look the same. It's the smallest one. Those questions help you read the Bible in light of Jesus' story and asking the question, how do I fit my life into his story? Why, Why is that so important? 
Why is it so important? It's where God's faithfulness is found. Do you know who God is faithful to first and foremost? Jesus. You know whose story will be faithfully completed beginning to end? Jesus's. And so we have to find ourselves in his story. And that's why the good news of the gospel is today, if you believe in Jesus, his life and his death in your place and his resurrection, guess what? His story becomes your story. You're someone who's already been crucified. You're someone who stands before God as though you never sinned and you always obeyed. And you're someone who will be raised from the dead. That's why you must apply your life to his story and by faith be identified with him. And you know, because the third day he is faithful to his son, he will be faithful to you when you are immersed in him and his life. His story becomes your story. Now, this revival of the word of God only lasts for some time. By the time we get to the end of Ezra and Nehemiah, spoiler alert, it's a mess. It's a mess. They find out people have married pagans and Ezra and Nehemiah. They lose their mind. Things go haywire. And why is that? Only one can renew your relationship with God. And the word that Ezra preached here became flesh and blood. The law, the promises, the story, the the word that the people of God stood and they read and they heard took on flesh and blood. You know what he did? He tented with us. He dwelled with us. He didn't ask us to make a tent. He took on flesh as his tent. And the word of God that was spoken over them and spoken over us today was exalted on a piece of wood, a platform called the cross, dying for your sin and my sin. And as the cross is exalted before us and the word of God is pierced for our sin, we are brought low and we are grieved for our sin. But the very thing that grieves us of our sin brings us the most joy because our sin has been paid for. And he lifts us up and says, yes, you've been unfaithful, but the word has been faithful to you. And we understand today we're not hearing a generic word. We're hearing the word of Christ. And you may say, I only go to church for worship, but without the word, there is no worship. 